Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hello, changemakers. Welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. Today, you are in for a real treat. Today, today I have with me Donna Rubin. Donna is an award-winning journalist, speech writer, and speech coach who writes and speaks about the history of women's speech and voice. She is focused on expanding diverse voices and viewpoints in the public discourse. She is the creator of an incredible online archive of speeches made by women called the Speaking While Female Speech Bank. And her goal is to set the record straight on who actually spoke in history and shine a light on the women she says have been unjustly overlooked or forgotten. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive into this topic because for our listeners, those that know me, this infuriates me. (laughs) One, that you had to do this project to begin with, but we really have been overlooked throughout the course of history in a multitude of areas. So can you share with our listeners what sparked your passion for amplifying diverse voices in the public discourse? Well, I had been a speechwriter for a very long time. Not only that, but also a speech coach. So Mm -hmm. I've been in the world of public speaking, paying attention to public speaking, watching the trends in public speaking. And also for many years, maybe a dozen years or so, I've been a judge for an annual speech writing contest. And I remember... Uh, some years ago, maybe five or six years ago, getting really annoyed by all of the references to the quotes by Winston Churchill. Mm. So, so I'm a student of history and I fully appreciate that he was the uh, statesman of World War II. He was extremely articulate. He, del- he deserves all accolades. But why were we quoting him all the time? Right. Not only him, but then I started to notice Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Frederick Douglass, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, John F. Kennedy, R.F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, Billy Graham, all men, almost never, I mean, almost never did you hear a woman quoted. So that really sent me on a voyage of discovery. I love that. So were there any experiences in your career as a journalist that led you to specifically focus on women outside of that contest where you kept seeing these male voices show up? As a journalist, no. I mean, that was really my my first career was in journalism. And then I moved into speech writing. It. it was really as a speech writer that I started to notice that phenomenon. I don't know. I was always a feminist, but I never really noticed this until... I got into the world of speech. But let's let's be clear also, there's been a whole movement in the last 20 years or so of rediscovery, women in art, women in the sciences, putting women, Wikipedia entries for women in the sciences who have been overlooked, women engineers, women in the world of public policy, women in foreign policy. I mean, there's been a whole movement, but nobody had really looked at women's voices. Yeah. Women's public voices what women said in the public realm or sphere and in that in that category you would con- you would include speeches testimony lectures addresses even sermons in house of mm-hmm. worship anytime a, someone would stand up and speak before an audience 
I consider that public speech. Sure. So throughout your career, how have the definitions and perceptions of voice and speech evolved for you? Voice and speech. Well, speech as I speech I think of as public speech as I just defined, but voice is something more complicated. I do think, especially in today's vernacular, the way we discuss it, voice can be your message. Mm. Finding your voice doesn't only mean speaking in public. You can find your voice through writing as well. Yeah, I love so that. voice and also voice, I mean, that's to be even more basic. Voice is the sound that comes out of your mouth. So voice is a more amorphous term, sometimes a more abstract term, but speech is something, public speech especially, is something more specific. Yeah. So for those that that can't see, um, I actually have her book right here, Speaking While Female. So it's not only this incredible online portal, it's also an incredible book. So what inspired you to compile Speaking While Female? And walk our listeners through your process and the criteria you use to define extraordinary. Because these are 75 speeches by extraordinary speeches. Well, first I started with the online speech bank. uh, When I discovered the extent to which women's voices had been overlooked, I started looking at speech anthologies. Uh And because I'm something of an obsessive, I think a kind of a completionist, I started buying or getting from the library or looking online at all the speech anthologies in the English language that I could find. And I have a mountain over in my, the next room in my living room, I collected 230 speech anthologies. This, This is from the United States, from Canada, from Ireland, from South Africa, from the Philippines, from anywhere and everywhere, of course, the United Kingdom, anywhere and everywhere English was spoken. They published speech anthologies. And I just started, went going through the table of contents with a pencil and counting how many speeches by men and how many by women. And the more I saw, the angrier I got and the angrier, angrier I got, the busier I got. I put them all in an infographic. Yeah, I called that infographic it, on the website is disturbing. <laughs> it's called, I, call, I titled it, How the History of Speech Forgot About Women's Speech. And yeah. you can look at it and at a glance, you can see all the covers of these speech anthologies and how many paid no attention to women's speech. Right. So out of that, I created this website the Speaking While Female Speech Bank, and that has many, many thousands of speeches by women from across time, literally from ancient times to the present, from all over the world. And I am still adding to that today. I'm just constantly finding more speeches that are in the public domain that I have the legal permission to publish, sure. putting, putting them on that site. And teachers and students all over the world are using that. They're using it in their studies. They're using it in their research. And it is eye-opening. I mean, I put them in categories, thematic categories, and you can just starting from the top, look at the category of anti-slavery and see how many women spoke out about slavery all over the world. And you go down from there, health and medicine, religion and belief, temperance, I mean, all kinds of categories. So it was only after I assembled this online speech bank that it occurred to me that really there was a book in this, right? a, a hardcover book. And so... Then I narrowed it down to American women. And by American, I mean, colloquially, we refer to American as United States, not not Canada. Although there were many, many remarkable Canadian speakers. That's for the next volume, not for this one. Yeah. And I'm sure women globally have been overlooked in speaking. 
throughout history and time as well. Women from the Middle East, women from Egypt and and the Middle East, women from South America, women from Asia, women from Singapore and Taiwan. I mean, China, women from all over the world. They have been speaking and the world hasn't really cared about what they had to say, to be honest. I mean, the, the gatekeepers of history, the historians, the journalists, the publishers, the editors, they just repeated over and over what men had to say and overlooked what women had to say. Yeah. And then that became part of our vernacular as a society were these male voices, because that's what we continually heard throughout high school, throughout college. It just became part of what we reference automatically. And and unfortunately, it sends a signal. It's a message that we all imbibe as we grow up, that it's men's voices that are important and valued and women's voices are secondary or expendable. Right. So we grow up and then we become adults and we're reluctant to speak out. We don't think that we have the expertise to share, even though we we may have a PhD or have written five books. We still don't want it. Women still don't want to speak in public. We don't stand up nearly in the same proportion as men in city council meetings and school board meetings. Women don't speak up. Now, I have to be clear, it is changing. Right. It's really changing. Our society is changing, especially in the Western world, the developed world. It is changing, and I'm very optimistic that future generations, that our children and our grandchildren, will see the world differently. But that's not true all over the world, and it's certainly I, uh, incumbent on me to help hasten that and make that uh, a reality for younger women. Yeah, I love that. So, what was one of the most surprising discoveries you made while researching the speeches for the book? Well, when I started looking at America. Even pre United, pre the formation of the sovereign state, the United States, I learned that the first women speakers in this territory in America were indigenous women. In many of the clans or tribes around the nation, women they were many of them were matrilineal. They mm-hmm. power descended through the women and the lineage of the women, and women had. Powerful, in many cases, had powerful public roles. They were community leaders. They were political leaders. They were diplomatic leaders. And unfortunately, because indigenous women, for the most part, didn't have a written language, we don't know what they said. They didn't write it down. So we don't know what they said. Now, we do have a few words, a few, um, I guess, fragments of words by women that were transcribed by Anglo. Americans mm-hmm. who came here as settlers. And one of those is in my book. It's by a uh, Cherokee woman named Nanyehi, who was a, um, a diplomat. And so we have her words because they were transcribed into English by the um, Anglos that she was negotiating with. And I found those, they've been replicated in other books, but it's in a scrap that is a fragment that is aged and torn, and it's in the Nathaniel Green papers in the uh, Library of Congress. Wow. So we have Nanyehi's words, and they're very powerful. She says she's speaking about a peace treaty, and she says, our people are your people. Our sons are your sons. Let's make peace so that our nations can live together. That was her message. Wow. It's very powerful to hear those words. Especially today with what's happening in our world right now. For sure. It's so sad that we don't recognize those women and, and appreciate that we are the beneficiaries of 
mm-hmm. their message and their voice. Yeah. So this book and the online portal covers a very broad timeline. So did you notice any common threads in the challenges that these women speakers faced over the decades? Well, people often ask me if I think that women speak differently from men. And I have to say, in my opinion, a lot of people disagree or feel differently, but I think women and men really are very, are very similar, are the same in how they deliver their speeches in the force of their words and their conviction and their passion and their ability to speak passionately or dispassionately, their use of data and facts to back up what they say. Mm-hmm. The only difference that I notice between women and men as speakers is that women and men have been in very different places. Of course, right. men were pol- politicians, they were legislative leaders, they were military leaders. Women were confined for most of the nation's history in the into the domestic sphere. And so most of the things they talked about arose from the domestic sphere and social relations. So they talked about education. They talked about marriage and divorce very often spoke out against marriage and divorce as, you know, marriage as an institution, divorce laws. They spoke about um, schooling and education. They talked about healthcare and then more and more into the mid 19th century, they talk about, spoke about temperance, the abuse of alcohol, which was a home wrecker, of course. They talk about reform. Of course, as we moved into the middle of the 19th century, women were reformists. They were reforming um, health care. They were reforming prison care. Mm-hmm. So in subject matter, there really was a dis- has been a difference. Yeah. But I don't particularly believe that women and men are any different today. When you look at women and men speakers, I think that there is no difference. Women are just as powerful in every realm and every subject matter as, as men. Yeah. Can you share an example from one of the speeches of the book that sparked significant change or action? And I'm sure there are dozens, but is there one that stands out for you that really sparked change for you? Well, I would say just to back up, every speech sparks action. Every speech, nice. a good a good speech. As a speechwriter, we always say that a good speech, a powerful speech takes the audience from one place to another. Right. You begin in one place and you take them to another. And by the end, you have asked that audience or compelled, inspired that audience, influence that audience to do something different, whether it's vote for legislation, vote for me as a candidate, right. get behind a cause, donate to a cause. Even think about it, even if it's a sermon a, a, in a worship house of worship, you're asking your audience to think differently about a subject, to behave more morally, to expand your thinking. Even if you're giving a sermon at a funeral, you're calling upon the audience to remember the good qualities of this person who's deceased and let them inspire you in your life. So a good speech always inspires action. But you asked for one example, and I have a great example about a woman who's very little known. Her name is Clara Shortridge Foltz. She was the first woman lawyer on the West Coast the first woman lawyer in California, and she fought to get there. She went all the way to the California Supreme Court for the right to take the bar exam and um, become a lawyer. She introduced a bill called the Woman Lawyer Bill that passed the state legislature. But Clara Shortridge Fultz was a, a lawyer in the courtroom, and she could see that the defendants, the criminal defendants who she was defending, were really um, overmatched by the 
prosecutors, they were completely steamrolled and almost often they went to jail without any adequate defense. And in 1893, at a gathering of lawyers in conjunction with the World's Fair of Chicago, she stood up and gave a speech and argued that criminal defendants deserve legal representation under the auspices or under the, uh, with the support of the state. Because as a nation, we believe in innocence until proven guilty. Right. Equal justice under law, it says on the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C. And she says, if we want to live up to our ideals as a nation, we deserve, we um, are compelled to defend the innocent until the moment that they're proven guilty. And that was the beginning of what we know as the public defender system. Wow, that's amazing. I love that because my granddaughter's name is Clara. That's incredible. I love that. She she could see from her experience, today we, we refer to it as lived experience, but yeah. she could see because of her experience as a lawyer in the courtroom that this is something that was needed. Yeah. She stood up and gave a speech and advocated for it. She supported her argument with ample evidence. She appealed to the emotions and ideals of her listeners and her words were effective. And by the way, when I went to look for it, that speech had not been reproduced in over a century, but I found it in a couple of law journals and I, um, I'm so thrilled to have it in the book. Wow. How do you believe the speeches that you selected reflect the evolution of American values over time? Well, um, that's a very interesting question. I don't know that anybody's ever asked me that question, but certainly you can see through the centuries that we have become much more um, alive to, sensitive to the uh, the fact that our nation was created by diverse voices, the vibrant diversity of participation from all people. And this wasn't the case 100 years ago. It really wasn't even the case 50 years ago. But society has moved on. You know, we've had the civil rights movement. We've had disability rights movement. We've had uh, a movement for homosexuals. I have a speech in 1972 given by Madeline um, Davis for lesbian rights. So, I mean, we've seen this movement towards inclusivity, uh, including more voices, because we recognize that everybody's voice counts, matters, and has an important role to play. So my book has about 40% women of color. So it has, I think, 20 speeches by Black women, Indigenous women, Hispanic American women, Latina women, um, Asian American women, and women who were immigrants who came to this country from all over the world and reflected the values and ideals that they brought with them when they joined this country. So it's uh, it's possible to trace all those movements through the through the story of women's voices you can see the rise of participation and diversity and inclusivity i love everything you just said that's amazing how do you hope your book will change readers understanding of women's role in american history well i would like i've gotten to the point where i'd like to just take all the history books and throw them away and start over <laughs> But that day is not on the horizon. Right. So I would like my book to be used in conjunction with history books that tell the nation's history, but don't include women. But not just my book, but the speech bank, the free speech bank. And already there are high school students, high school classes, 
and university classes around the country. I know because I hear from them, the professors, the teachers reach out to me. I just, not long ago, I, I got an email from a gentleman who teaches high school at a um, Mormon school in Utah. And he said his students were using my speech bank and in the religion and beliefs section, they were disturbed to not find any speeches by women of the Latter-day Saint tradition. Mm -hmm. So I went back and looked and there's lots of women who were Latter-day Saints who spoke in public and I started, I've started to include them. So that's amazing. That really made me feel good that they spoke looked, up. They looked at it and saw the absence. They saw they were not represented and they asked me to include them. That's incredible. So, and they deserve to be there. Yeah. They have a long tradition of women speaking in public. Yeah. So what advice would you give to women who want to raise their voices and stand stronger in their convictions? Well, a lot, because I'm a speech coach. <laughs> <laughs> bring it, bring it. I could fill the hour with advice. What I mean, the first one, obviously, is to know that we have this accessible past and to use it as a source of inspiration. Because unfortunately, many women, too many women still don't like speaking in public. They don't, like I said, they don't feel they have anything of value to say, or they're intimidated by it. Not all women, certainly not all women. And it is changing. But still today, I find that the way I like to say it is more women than most men don't like to speak in public. So we have to change that. So look to the past and realize if women could do it 200 years ago, you can do it. Right. If you don't like it, if you're intimidated by it, if you're you feel you don't have anything of value to say, start small, speak in your community, speak in your house of worship, go to Toastmasters, speak at a Rotary Club meeting, just get out there and speak. Because it is a fact, undeniable, that the more you speak, the better you get. The more comfortable you get in your own skin as a speaker. Yeah. Speak up at work, speak for your team, speak up at town hall meetings in, in your company, if you work for a company. Take every advantage to speak in public and you will gain confidence. And then beyond that, I guess, I guess I would say I'm a big advocate of rehearsing. Practice, 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 because the more you rehearse, the more familiar you are with your message and the easier it gets. It just gets easier. Everything gets easier over time. Yeah. And as someone who speaks globally, I found when you are speaking around a topic that you are completely passionate about it's easier because it just flows naturally out of you versus being giving some, given something to speak about. Of course, you know the material. And the better you know your material, the more confident you'll be. And the more confident you'll be, the more you will convey uh, confidence in your audience's perception right. of you. So how can we take that down to young girls? How do we help young girls develop those strong speaking skills and the confidence to use their voices from an early age? Well, I used to teach uh, at high school public speaking in the Toastmasters Youth Leadership Development Program. And we used to teach girls who were just starting out in their teens, 12, 13, 14. They would start out terrified and we would give them simple stories to tell. They would write their own stories. They would give use their index cards and write notes on their index cards and stand up and speak. And by the end of the, you know, the session, they were giving speeches with confidence. So start at an early age 
and help them understand that they have an important voice to use their voice. Yeah, love that. Buy, buy this book and yeah, have, exactly. it, have it on your shelf. I always say that even if all you can see is the spine of the book uh-huh. and you have it on the bookshelf and a little girl walks by and sees that book on the shelf, she gets the message that right. women's voices matter. Yeah. Just having that book around the house will tell her that women's voices are important and that her voice is important. Yeah. What are some actionable steps that individuals or groups can take to broaden that diversity of voice in the public discourse? Well, I think that um, if you're in a setting or an environment where you notice some people are uh, speaking all the time and other voices are unheard, make sure you bring in those other voices. Make sure that you look around the room and say, we haven't heard from this person this morning. Let's include this person. Yes. Say, has anybody not shared their point of view here? All too easy for a handful of people or one or two people to dominate the conversation. And that's not, it's not healthy. It's not good for the best outcomes. Yeah. So based on the lessons from the book, I'm going to ask you to put your coach hat on for a moment. What would you say are some of the key elements of an impactful speech today? Well, first of all, a speech has to start strong. You have to capture your audience from the beginning. There's too many reasons for uh, your audience to be distracted. It's really actually today very hard to listen to a speech with full attention. So easy to get distracted by other thoughts, random thoughts in your head, your cell phone. So a speaker has to start really strong. You have to capture your audience's attention from the beginning. And then you have to keep their attention. You have to keep the attention level high. So when I teach, I often say that, Audience attention is like this. It goes in a line and then it dips down. And your job is to bring it back up. And they'll go again and it'll dip down. And you need to bring them back up. How do you do that? You do it with stories. You do it with pauses. You use your voice. You use volume and pitch. You use examples. Maybe you use visual examples. Maybe you show something. But you have to remember that your audience attention is flagging all the time. They're just, they're pulled away by distraction. So you have to keep them engaged. You have to keep that engagement level high. And then I would say at the end of the speech, towards the end of the speech, you have to make sure that they understand what you're asking them to do. We -hmm. talked about purpose in a speech, um, influence in a speech. Sometimes we call it in the speech world, CTA, a call to action. Give them something to do. Tell them, this is what next time you're in this situation, think about it this way or vote this way or take this action. Make sure your audience walks away with the feeling of something more elevated to do, a sense of purpose. That's really important. Love it. So Donna, where can our listeners learn more about the Speech Bank and the book? Oh, well, you can go to the Speech Bank easily. It's called speakingwhilefemale.co. Speakingwhilefemale.co. I don't own the .com. The woman who owns the .com has not let me have it yet, <laughs> but I'm still working yeah, on it. Yeah, because you will get it. I love She's that. She's not using it. So why hasn't she <laughs> let me have it? So speakingwhilefemale.co. And of course, the book is available at all major retailers. And by the way, I'll point out that um, it's a great gift for young women. It's perfect for young women, teenagers, women in college, women in their 20s who are just starting out, and for anybody you know who's interested in history. This will really blow their minds uh, when it comes to American history and who made American history. 
Yeah, incredible. Donna, thank you so much. This has been incredible. For our listeners, we will have all of the links in the show notes as well as Donna's bio, and we will see you back here next time. Take care, everybody. Robin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.